a playlist original. Welcome to the Pilot Podcast, where we review the pilot episodes of TV shows to answer your question, should I watch this? My name is BJ. And my name is Me Too. And this week, we're watching Outlast on Netflix, Farmer Wants a Wife on Fox, Unprisoned on Hulu, and School Spirits on Paramount+. Plus. So stay tuned to the end to find out which high school clubs BJ was in. Oh, okay. Let's see if I can remember them all. Ooh, not them all. Come on, Involved. Before that, how about we see some people involved in a reality show? You're talking about Outlast on Netflix? 16 solo survivalists are forced to work together in the Alaskan wilderness. These people know how to survive alone. But now, in order to win a potential million-dollar prize, they must be a part of a team to succeed. So, me, do you mention they need to survive the Alaskan wilderness, but were you prepared for how intense the survival really will be? Can I read you some of my stream of conscious thoughts about the stakes of this show? Please do. I wrote, they are airdrop supplies, no guaranteed clean water, food, or fire. Someone said, this is the cleanest we will be. Just kill me where I stand. A flare gets you out. I would break down and rebuild my atoms to become a flare if needed. Someone else said, I can't wait for the chance to test myself. I could wait my whole life. They have three hours to survive hypothermia and no tent. Imagine someone mansplaining to you as hypothermia sets in. Send the rapture. And then my last note in all caps was just BEARS? So I think the takeaway is you would not sign up for this show. However, some of the contestants apparently saw an Instagram ad and didn't really know what they were getting into in terms of the details of the competition. But they said to themselves, we can figure it out. We can find water. We can hunt food. We can start a fire. And I think that's impressive. Yes, that's what's wild is they're not even all survivalists. Some of them are people who seem to be self-declared nomads and live off the land. And some of them are people who are like engineers and people who work construction and are simply interested in this. Which, you know, more power to them. I think there's a big difference between people who like camping and people who want to survive in a isolated valley in Alaska. I'd rather paint an entire house with a toothbrush. Like, I just cannot be convinced that this is something I would ever want to do. But that's what makes shows like this so fascinating is the prize isn't even like so clear. And yet for their interest in this, they're doing it. So you get to watch people who, if you're anything like me, live so far outside of what your interest areas are. So it's just a fascinating human study. And I think that interest is also an important part of the structure of the show because you don't vote off any of these contestants. All you have to do to stay on the show is stay a part of a team and the last standing team wins the prize. So I think it's very interesting that it's not about picking who you don't want to be there or trying to kick off your biggest competition. It's really forming an alliance and surviving. That's it. And then in that, when you strip away food, water, shelter, warmth, anything that sort of helps keep humans alive. It's so interesting that these social constructs still persist. 
So we can talk about the teams a little bit, the breakdown in this first episode of where the teams are, because there's no guarantee that every team will stay the same. But we have Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, and Delta. And in that, we see concepts of like sexism, ageism, we see conflict come up. And it's so odd that like, even when you take all these things away, people still come back to that. It's ingrained in these people's minds. It's coming up even when you're in the woods looking for shelter and trying to start a fire. You also start to see people's egos come into play of I should be the leader of the group or some people just saying I'm a follower. (laughs) Yes. Obsessed with the people who said they were followers. That's me and BJ. Come be our (laughs) successful alpha because it's not going to be us. (laughs) If you can start a fire, we will follow you. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) We will be your henchmen who don't do henching. (laughs) But the fight for dominance was so interesting. So in Alpha Team, for example, Jill and Justin clashed over where to sleep. And that's a huge question because, of course, it can be life or death for these people because there are all caps bears. And it was interesting to hear them say that they don't know how to disagree with each other because these people don't know each other. They just grabbed the three people closest to them in a split decision to make these teams of four. So they don't know how to talk to each other. So it's just a lot of uncomfortable, like, I think we should actually sleep over here. And they don't know how to push back on each other yet. And what I love about how these teams were randomly assigned is that Team Delta were the leftovers, the outcasts that no one picked, and yet they are meshing well. They harmonize. They actually have a wide range of skills. (laughs) (laughs) Team Delta cracked me up because they were like, we're the leftovers, but one of us is a chef, one of us is an engineer, one of us is a construction worker who used to be in the Marine Corps, and one of us is a hunter. (laughs) It's just like, you would pay to have Team Delta around you. And they had good chemistry with each other. And they started a fire. And they started a fire, which not every team did. So you know what? It doesn't really matter who you pick based off of looks, you sometimes got to just take a chance. And I think what's going to be interesting is, like you mentioned, these teams aren't static. So who's going to start observing whose skills and maybe poach a team member or like prey on someone's weakness? Yes, because there are no rules, which is what we're reminded of in the previews for future episodes. So you can actually do sabotage. Which you're too excited about. (laughs) I wrote sabotage is afoot in my notes. I was very intrigued by the previews. Me too told me I'm going to share your story with our listeners. Okay. That you would use your flair. Everyone has one flair if they want to leave the show for whatever reason. Me too would use her flair to attack the other teams. Yeah, I want the million dollars. If you airdrop me (laughs) into the middle of sleeping in 30 degree weather, I'm not leaving with nothing. I'm like Denzel. I'm leaving here with something. But if I have to (laughs) flame part of a forest to do it, then okay. (laughs) And you know, that would make for great TV. It would, as I'm carted away (laughs) by multiple government agencies. For violating, like, probably conservation laws, <laughs> terrorism laws. Can you use your cash prize to pay those fines? <laughs> I'd have, like, a dollar left in winnings. I'd probably have debt. <laughs> yeah, you have debt, criminal record, <laughs> but you're a winner. But you're a winner, baby. <laughs> so with that, do you want to watch more episodes of Outlast on Netflix? 
I do. This is a lot more exciting than I expected for a survivalist show. So I would watch again casually. How do you feel? I would watch again seriously. Y'all, I am not an outdoorsy type person, nor do I necessarily always like these kind of shows. But this is something that you can't look away from. It is thrilling television. The stakes couldn't be higher. It's such a fascinating human study because you strip everything away and it's just human dynamics left. They don't even have a host. They have a narrator. So it really just feels like cultural anthropology. It's fascinating. Super recommend. So how about we switch from a reality show about surviving to a reality show about finding love? BJ, why don't you let us know what happened on Farmer Wants a Wife on Fox? Sure. This reality TV series is actually based on a British show of the same name, and it features four bachelor farmers who are trying to choose a potential romantic partner from groups of five single city women. This show was actually originally adapted on CW in 2008, and five Fox has now brought it back with country music singer Jennifer Nettles serving as host. In this first episode, we meet cattle and horse ranchers Hunter, Allen, Ryan, and Landon, who are in their early 30s and ready for love. What did you think? I was a little confused by the premise because it involved people who lived in like New York or Miami. I think one person had roots in Maryland, and then they're deciding that they are going to live on rural farmland. And when you meet the farmers, they're on farms. They're not on like urban farms. It's not on some big city green swag. They are on remote farms. Landon said that he doesn't have a neighbor for two, 2.5 miles or something like that. Yes, these are true farmers, lots of acres, lots of land, living in some more rustic homes, barns, lots of horses and wildlife. But they have that southern charm, that farmer's charm that these city girls seem to be attracted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't see the the charm in living on a, a farm with a cattle rancher? I see the charm. I just don't think I would relocate to a farm. As someone who grew up in the South, much like you, I understand desiring Southern charm. I just think if you have ever been near or around a real farm and you are not cut from the cloth of people who know and thrive in those environments, I don't know that you could relocate there and necessarily be happy and thriving But there is some chemistry right off the bat. So when the contestants meet, I thought it was interesting that the contestants first got to rank choice their farmers. And then from that pool, the farmers then chose which women they were most interested in. And then they did speed dates to limit it down to five women for each farmer who would come and live on their farm. And so I thought it was interesting that the women got to at least first state claim to one of our guys, and then the guys bring five back. And there was a bonus where they could choose one of them to stay a full 24 hours before the other four ladies arrive. Which I think is smart. Like you said, a lot of these contestants might be fantasizing about farm life. So getting that 24 hours or just the experience to live on that farm might be a wake-up call for some of these people. What made me laugh, and I say this with love to the producers of the show, is two people who just met and are driving together to a remote property of one of the people to stay there and no one can hear them scream for two or three miles is the plot of a horror movie. 
like that is terrifying. <laughs> I mean, all of those scenes with the contestant that gets the early 24 hours look like the start of a horror film. Yes. Where they're being driven alone to some isolated farm where the farmer even says, my nearest neighbor is miles away. We can't even see them. You could run and run and run. <laughs> and there's a fence. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, I think that they had really strong chemistry. They bonded over fun things. I think Ryan especially feels like a hopeless romantic. So does Landon. Some of the women had farm-friendly hobbies. One of them, I think, judged livestock, for example. One liked to ride horses. But ultimately, it did feel like a horror movie, that part. Maybe like a comedy horror, but still a horror. Speaking of the hopeless romantics, I was actually surprised by Alan, who was more shy. He even admitted that he's not very good at expressing his emotions. So as someone who's only seen a handful of dating shows, I was surprised to see someone not very expressive be like the one everyone's seeking. That's true. I felt like he had the most chemistry with the producer who was asking him if he was okay. Well, that's a different show. Unreal? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's the show. I was trying to think of it. I was like, I know I've seen something where the producer hits it off. I think that's my bone to pick overall with the show is it's silly and fun and a classic alternative dating show. But I think it could have leaned into the absurdity of it more. It is a little difficult to believe that these farmers are having trouble finding love. Maybe in these modern times, but I assume farmers before them found love, even in these remote environments. So obviously you are a self-selecting audience who would choose to go on a dating show. And I wish they just had more fun with it. Like introduce the farm sooner. Let's see shots of these women attempting farm tasks. I think that could have been really fun. Kind of like simple life, but a reality dating show? Yes, exactly. Just really, really high absurdism. I think that could work. I also have an issue with the believability. I think if all of these farmers change the radius setting on their dating app to 100 miles and just put in their profile, you must be willing to move to my farm, <laughs> I think they would find someone. A hundred percent. So will you keep watching to see if these farmers find someone? No, I don't think this one is for me. Now, I'm also not Bachelor Nation. I only watched that one season with Rachel. So if you are Bachelor Nation or if you like these kind of sweeter dating reality shows, I would encourage you to give this one a shot. For me, it was a little too slow paced and not absurd and ridiculous enough to bring me in. So if you're not a dating show person, I don't think this is the one that would bring you into that world. Too generic for you. Yes. That's fair. Which is ridiculous because the topic is so focused. We're talking about farmers, even a specific type of farmer. That's true. It's very niche, and that isn't enough of a spark. Yeah. I also would not watch again. It's not a bad show. I find it very lukewarm. It just is a dating show. And if you're into that, great. If that's not your cup of tea, this isn't going to excite you. So how about we take things to something more exciting, like what happens when your dad gets out of prison? You're talking about Unprisoned on Hulu, inspired by the life story of show creator and relationship expert Tracy McMillan, Carrie Washington plays Paige Alexander, a family therapist and mom-to-son Finn played by Faley Rakatohavana. Her tidy world gets turned upside down when she welcomes home her father from prison, Edwin, played by Delroy Lindo. Can they get to know each other? 
Can they build trust? Will Edwin stay out for good this time? Is he oddly a good influence on Paige and her family? These are all good questions. And I think as long as you have Delroy Lindo playing the dad or the granddad, it's going to be a great time. He really stood out. And I think he really made this character feel real. Not that anyone else did a bad job, but his character really felt like, oh, that is a person that I could meet on the street. I know that uncle. I didn't want to call out a family member. But like, <laughs> Yeah, we've all met an Edwin. We've all met an Edwin. When he laughs at the self-checkout line, when he sees that she's checking out her own stuff, and he's like, y'all have, they have y'all working as cashiers. And I always think those jokes are kind of silly, but the way he laughs, I really laughed. Just that laugh of surprise. And then when he tells her, I can tell you're obsessed over that man, you can't stop looking at your phone. And she's like, look around, no one can stop looking at her phone. And the way he looks around, he's like, oh snap, you're right. Cracked me up. I found myself laughing throughout this whole thing, and he was just so charming in it. And I think the writers did a good job of showing someone catching up to the modern world. I think we've seen a lot of shows, which to be fair, were more fantasy, sci-fi, time travel, but they don't always do a good job of showing how someone will react to what's changed in the world around them. Yes. For example, when Edwin goes to get Starbucks for the first time, or as he called it, Starbucks, and the barista yelled his name, and you can see him flinch. And he freaks out at it. Understandably so. It's overwhelming. It's overstimulating. And she calms him for a second. So even though Paige is exhausted by this man upon sight of him, and probably even when she is not around him, she still kicks into therapist mode, kicks into daughter mode, and soothes him. Just it's a short moment, but I think indicated so much about what it will be to adjust to freedom. Yes. And it shows their history and connection really easily. And to that extent, we even see more and more of Paige, whether it's her inner child or her just talking to her followers very openly about what's going on with her dad. She's putting all their business out there. Paige is an open book. She even showed her daddy macking in the grocery store and the lady he was macking on. I'd be mad when she flashed that camera at me. Though, I will say, the going live got a little bit tiring for me. The flashbacks to her childhood or even putting her inner child in scenes uh, played by Jordan McIntosh, I thought that was really good. And I think was a clever way to tell the story of someone who's a therapist. I agree. And I think it was helpful because it would get pretty repetitive and boring if it was simply adult Paige saying, well, when I was five, you did this. When I was eight, you did this. Seeing it helps and seeing her inner child talk about it is like a fun way to change up those scenes. I really liked that a lot. And I thought the actor was wonderful. So me too. This show is not only dramatic, but it is also comedic. Did it have enough comedy for you to balance out the drama? Yes, I think this was a really beautiful dramedy. And I think one of the places where that shined, aside from Paige and Edwin's chemistry throughout, is when they meet with Mal, the parole officer played by Mark Richardson. I just thought that that scene could have been so heavy and was because it is a terrifying thing to be re-entering the world. Recidivism is a very real thing. The way the system is not set up to support people 
coming out of incarceration is a very real thing. Edwin doesn't understand his path to getting a job, to housing, to securing resources needed to live. It's like outlast, basically. And Mal is talking through that with her and telling her whether you like him or not, he may have to live with you. And throughout that whole scene, while they're talking about this heavy stuff, it's also just funny. I don't know how to explain it, but I just laughed the whole time. For example, Edwin says, I'm going to stay with my friend Fox. And (laughs) Mal is like, Fox? Are you sure? And Edwin's like, he's not in the life anymore. And Mal was like, if his name is Fox, he is in the life. And so (laughs) I just thought it was just such a good balance of humor because you're stressed out for Edwin, but then you're laughing at this observation. Exactly. They are good at laughing at and through their trauma. And I think that also stood out when Edwin first meets his grandson, Finn, because Paige had actually been trying to keep them separated. They do end up interacting. And Finn asks some very honest questions where he assumes His granddad's been in jail. He learns that it's actually much more serious than that. And you kind of see them starting to bond over their dislike of some of Paige's preferences. (laughs) (laughs) But I like that they can balance the serious and the fun in the same scene. So, Beej, do you want to see them continue to balance the serious and the fun on Unprisoned on Hulu? I do. I would watch again casually. I want to see what happens to this family. How do you feel? I completely agree. I want to watch again seriously. I would recommend it to Dramedy Hive. Watch again seriously. Carrie Washington is in her comedy era, and we love to see it. How about we go from real prison to the prison of purgatory? Ooh, you're talking about school spirits on Paramount+. Plus. Peyton List plays Maddie, a newly deceased teen who discovers she's stuck with those who have also died in the school over the past 100 years. She is determined to investigate her own murder and will uncover new secrets and lies along the way. She's drawn to her living friend Simon, played by Christian Flores, along with her living boyfriend Xavier, played by Spencer McPherson. And helping her on the ghostly side of things is her new friend Charlie, played by Nick So me too. What were your first impressions? I thought this show was so charming. I know that we review a teen murder mystery, be it animated or haunted or werewolfed, I feel like almost every few episodes. But I will say that this one is absolutely a standout. It is so charming, so intriguing. I want to know what happened. And I think the rules of death in this are fascinating. So for example, she can touch stuff, but she cannot change stuff. So she tries to rip a poster, one of her missing posters off of a wall and is able to hold it in her hand, but she cannot take it off the wall in the living world. So it made me think, can she, for example, investigate her own death that way? Can she pick stuff up in the boiler room where her blood was found? Ooh, that's a good question. The thing that stood out to me was that the ghosts can't leave the school campus. And if they try to, they end up wherever they died. So I'm wondering, is there something mystical or magical about the school itself that's locking the kids there? Or not just kids. There's also a dead teacher. That's true. Is it the school too? I think I just accepted it, which is ridiculous because in that world, then every school in this world would have its own teen support group. Yeah, (laughs) teen support group purgatory. That's true, maybe. So besides those rules of being a ghost, how do you feel about the concept of these kids in a support group waiting to move on? 
trying to accept the afterlife. I thought that was really intriguing too. I think typically on a show like this, I would want more focus on the murder because they really did not give us much. There's not even a body for us to investigate, but we know she's dead because her ghostly appearance is in this group. And I think the group dynamics were fascinating. So this is a support group that is trying to figure out how to get to the afterlife. She is occupying the seat of one Janet who did make it to the afterlife after dying there, I believe, in the 50s. And so they're trying to help each other process and figure out how to move on. And they're led by Mr. Martin, played by Josh Zuckerman. And what I think is interesting about it is I can't tell what will help them move on. Because typically in these stories, if you sort of make peace with your death, then you get to flash to the great beyond, however that is defined. And for these characters, they seem to have processed their deaths pretty okay, but they're still there in that support group. That's what confused me. We hear a lot about Charlie, who died in the 90s, so he's presumably been working on accepting his death for like 25 years, and that hasn't been enough for him to move on. So what is that next step? What is the next key piece that they need to get past this purgatory? Yes, and Charlie seems especially stable. Yeah, but I guess not stable enough. I don't know. (laughs) And on her murder, I think it's interesting that she absolutely cannot remember what happened. And she has this exchange with Wally, a former football player played by Milo Mannheim, who says that maybe that's a good thing because he wishes he could forget how he died. That's true. I don't think I would want that memory, especially if it's a painful death because all we know is that Maddie was last seen in the boiler room of the school and there's blood splattered everywhere. But they still think she's missing. Yes, nobody, everyone alive hopes that she still is alive. And it does capture that comedy and angst well in those scenes where she's at her own vigil and the cheerleaders get her name wrong or someone tries to scribble on her poster. And I think they get that high school angst right in that case. Charlie says something to the effect of high school used to feel like an eternity and now it is. Speaking of that high school angst, what do you think of her angsty bad boy boyfriend, Xavier, who's acting very suspicious? I'm very suspicious of Xavier, but the student that I focused on in this episode is Simon. Her friend Simon was acting. There's a scene where he gets very emotional over Maddie toward the end of the episode that absolutely made me tear up. I was like, I am tearing up to a Paramount Plus teen show. It was very touching. It goes to show that YA can have serious moments. Absolutely. And I think they really hit on what it would feel like to lose your best friend, especially when you're in a challenging environment. And at such a transition point. Yeah, she was his rock. And now he's alone in high school, which I guess is a living hell to him and an internal purgatory to her. Oof. Yeah, that's rough. Do you want to watch them continue to navigate that on different planes? I do. I will watch again. Seriously. I need to find out what happened to Maddie's body. How do you feel? Absolutely same. I would watch again seriously. In fact, we typically have a rule where we do not continue watching. And I tried to find the second episode of this show and it's not out yet because (laughs) I absolutely would have broken that rule and just watched it. I tried. I tried to watch more. And I was foiled. (laughs) Darn. Publishing schedule. (laughs) Now let's keep the topic of high school going. What were some of the clubs that I was in? That was the question? Yes. 
I was in Amnesty International. I was on Student Council. I was in Spanish Club. That's all I can remember. I feel like there's maybe one or two more. How was your Spanish? I used to be fluent in Spanish up until 11th grade. Mm. Then in 12th grade, I took AP Spanish Literature, where we just wrote essays, and I could write all my essays in the present tense, so I started to forget all the other tenses. Oof. Yeah. And then we went to college, and people said some not good things about our Spanish department, so I took Italian. I took Spanish class at our college. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was a tough experience. <laughs> I loved the Italian department. It was great. <laughs> what clubs were you in? Debate club. I was in debate. I was on the debate team in high school. Team. I was My bad. in the math society, even though I'm not particularly good at math, but I thought it would get me into college. And I can't remember what else I did. I did a lot of stuff, if I can remember correctly, but all nerdy, all for a resume. I don't know that anything was like out of interest. Like I remember my friends were like Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and they had projects that they did that they liked. I was like, whatever will get me into college, man. (laughs) Yeah, at least you were focused and had a goal. (laughs) Hyper-focused. And you accomplished it. True. So... Applause. I did I did eventually get accepted into college. So if you want to hear some more of our personal stories or you want to hear more of our reviews, you can head to our website at thepilotpodcast.com and you can follow us on all of your favorite podcast platforms. You can also follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at thepilotpod and you can send thoughts, feelings, show recommendations, the high school clubs that you were in to askthepilotpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.